Come. Have a seat, sir. Tell me what's on your so-called mind. It's Batman. He's gone nuts. First he whacked Chucky Saul, then Buzz, and now he's after me. You know, I've been reading lately how old Guano Man is wound tight enough to snap. Wouldn't it be great if I'd finally driven him off the deep end? <laughs> this isn't a joke. Batman's knocking us off and you're the only one who can take him down. Look, five million up front with whatever you want to finish him off. <laughs> what do I look like, pest control? Thank you, fool. Once he gets me, how long till he gets you? You know what I'm talking about. Your hands are just as dirty. Dirtier. Don't touch me, old man. I don't know where you've been. <laughs> oh, Sal, no one could take a joke like you. Of course I'll help you out. Really? Certainly. No way is anybody going to hurt my pal Sal. That's it. That's what I want to see. A nice big smile. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Alex. This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, so be sure to head on over to the BatmanUniverse.net to help support the Batman Universe server cost drive. And we are on episode 113. My name is Tim. I'm hosting this episode, but with me, as always, but not hosting, is Dane. What's up, Dane? Hey, Tim. How's it going? Uh, pretty good. I'm on a Star Wars high right now. I gotta say, we're recording on the weekend of Celebration Europe, so I'm getting a <laughs> lot of cool stuff with Rogue One and Rebels. So, yeah. yeah. So waking up early. Up. It's waking up late. It's you know, I yeah. mean, I'm staying up late. Yeah, a lot of it's been waking up early this weekend. Like a lot of panels, the big ones are like at eight a.m. So I'm like getting up at seven thirty on the weekends, which <laughs> you know. If you're able to, it's nice to sleep on the weekends. But for Star Wars, I'll get up no matter how early or how late it is. Well, at least you can pick what you want to see. You know, you, you know, you want to see the the Rebels panel, or you want to see the Rogue One stuff, or whatever, right? Yeah, and I'm just thankful that they're live streaming all this stuff now because you know, a few years ago, just be you know have to check live tweets and all that if you weren't able to go. But now for the big stuff, they're live streaming. We get to see pretty much everything. Yeah, I got to see uh, behind the scenes of Rogue One. Just but, really- yeah, as we were talking about earlier, they did get a little extra for those who were actually in attendance for Rogue One. They got a little bonus trailer, which right. teased Darth Vader at the end. So <laughs> <laughs> they got a little extra uh, something special there. So is the is the Death Star built in? Uh, yeah, it's built. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's oh, pretty okay. much gonna it's gonna lead up right into the beginning of Episode Four. Oh wow. Yeah, so I keep hearing like 10 minutes before episode 4 starts where Rogue One is going to end. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> so so it's pretty much like couple, a couple days before. Yeah, like, I think something like that. Yeah, uh, A New Hope starts. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, a few days is probably right because, you know, they have to get Jin recruited to the Rebel Alliance and then yeah. she gets to, and, uh, her partner Cassian played by Diego Luna, go to different planets, you know, recruits other members to join their team and all that. So, yeah, it's a span of a few days sounds about right. I'm wondering what happens to her. I know. Her and a lot of the characters, really. I mean, you could 
really be, you know, <laughs> uh, cynical and think all the characters are going to die because we don't see them in A New Hope or anywhere else. But I think it's going to be a mix, you know, of some dying and some surviving, but we just don't see it. But if they're going to be a main character or not, that's going to be, you know, the big question, <laughs> like Jin. And, uh, uh, but <laughs> I don't know. Well, I don't know if you saw the whole panel, but it's funny. Uh, one of the actors who's playing Bayes, I think his name is, uh, I'm blanking on his name, but uh, he plays the character Bayes, who is Chirut's, you know, friend, who's Chirut's being played by Donnie Yen, Donnie Yen. And his English isn't that, not that great because he says he's, you know, he's from Beijing. And as he was talking, he kind of let out a spoiler <laughs> about one of the characters. So I'll throw out the spoiler alert now for anyone who doesn't want to know and didn't see that battle. But he was mentioning how Donnie Yen's character, Chirut, after he says, after he's dead, my character becomes stronger. And you just see like the faces of like other actors who were sitting by him just go like, uh-oh, like what did he just say? <laughs> but just because they didn't speak English that well, they could kind of slip. So <laughs> yeah, but, but it's like, whoa. But Gwendolyn uh, Christie, she... She kind of did a good job of just like steering the conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, she did a good job hosting the whole panel too. That was a surprise. We didn't know who. Yeah, yeah, I didn't expect that. That was pretty cool. Yeah, is, he, is there anything Captain Phasma cannot do? <laughs> mm. She looks cool. She's mm. a great host. All she needs to do now is just you know be in a Star Wars movie longer than what two minutes. <laughs> I know what she can't do. She can't prevent Finn from getting the jump on her. Uh, <laughs> or, or a Wookiee. A Wookiee. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Star Wars Celebration's been great. And then you know, next week is already Comic-Con. <laughs> it's like two big conventions two weeks in a row, which is cool. But yeah. I imagine for anyone who's going to both, it's got to be you know <laughs> exhausted by the time it's all over. Is, uh, is Rogue One going to uh, 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 Comic-Con? No, I don't think so. They haven't officially said that uh, they're having any Star Wars, for the movies anyway, panels at Comic-Con. I think by now they would have announced it because, it's, like I said, it's just a week away. So I don't think there's yeah. going to be anything. Yeah, and I saw WB is going um, to show off Wonder Woman, right? Yep. Suicide Squad Wonder and Wonder Woman are going to be their big DC showcases. Which, right, right. And the thing, they didn't say Justice League is going to be there, but Ben Affleck has said, <laughs> you know, he said, like, we're going <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I don't know if we'll get. A, I highly doubt we'll get a trailer or anything. But a lot of speculation, and that I kind of agree with, is that maybe they'll show that uh, flash or that scene with Bruce and Barry, where he goes yeah. to recruit them from everyone saw on the set visit reports. Since you know that's ready to go, and they show it to people, why not show it to those at Comic Con? Yeah, but I'm I'm excited about uh, Wonder Woman. Yeah, you ho- see the- I hope we get a trailer for that. Yeah, I think we will, but the question is, yeah. will they make it public? For right, those? right. <laughs> I hope they put it on YouTube or something. I know. Um, I don't know if you've been reading it, but I've been reading the the Rebirth Wonder Woman. Yeah, it's the same. It's, it's really, really good. Yeah, it's one of the best ones out there right now. Yeah, yeah. Greg Rucka is writing it. Seems to really get Wonder Woman. Yeah, and I love the back and forth that's going where you know one issue is set in the present and then issue two like we just got this week it's yeah. like telling her year one story which is cool yeah and not only her story but steve trevor's story too yeah that was cool how they were kind of both paralleling each other throughout the issue yeah. of what they're going through and how they eventually meet up on the mascara yeah it's weird because because it seems like uh diana's more like a i don't know it's it's hard to explain because I mean, she, she's she's an Amazon, but 
I don't know. She she just seems different, right? When she was younger. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like you, a good like she, she was, she's always wondering what's over the horizon. Yeah, I was just going to mention that was a great like part of the beginning of the issue where you know everyone's supposed to be you know looking at the stars with their telescope, right. and she's looking out like beyond the sea, wondering what's out there. Just like, well, we've been looking up in the stars all our lives, but we haven't looked or been over what's you know across the sea that's what i'm really curious about so yeah yeah, stuff like that's a really cool touch yeah really good so that's another one i'm really looking forward to see where that goes did you see those uh new pictures they released from entertainment weekly like two days ago yeah the wonder woman outfit looks awesome (laughs) it looks better than it did in uh batman vs superman i know i thought the same thing and i loved how it looked in that movie but like the colors of it just look so much more bright and vibrant yeah makes it really stand out and of course you know it's understandable where it wouldn't look that way in bvs since it's 100 years later but (laughs) there's a part of me that hope like i don't know she not necessarily updates her armor but you know gets it looking back to that prestige form in justice league because it just looks really cool and wonderful and i'd like to see it again when you know she's with batman and all the other heroes again i'm I'm really excited for it. <laughs> I'm really excited for Wonder Woman. Yeah, so I can't wait, like I said, for Comic-Con. Hopefully we get a trailer, and, you know, if they don't show it to the public, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you don't you hate to see the bootlegs come out, So which is why you kind of want them to just release it. But at the same right. time, like I said before, with Rogue Once. One, it's cool to get that exclusive experience if you are there. So it's kind of like a tricky situation for them. Right, right. We'll wait and see. But another movie we have to talk about before we get to see Wonder Woman and Rogue One is a movie we've actually been talking about for 62 minutes now. <laughs> We're gonna about to go on a minute 63, which, of course, is our Dark Knight Rises minute-by-minute commentaries. So, as usual, go ahead and get your Betamax tape, your VHS tape, Laserdisc, projector, HD DVDs, all of the dead media format that's out there. I think <laughs> I got them all covered. <laughs> I think we need to add one more. Maybe, like... Oh man, uh, puppets or puppets? <laughs> <laughs> I like the it's... puppets one because that was a form of media <laughs> way back. And we'll go ahead and start in three, two, one, go. And how fitting we're talking about Rogue One, and the first person we see on Man at sixty-three is Ben Mendelsohn's Daggett. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to see him in Rogue One. It was just cool how he made his entrance for the Rogue One panel. He's in his costume being followed yeah, full, by Death Troopers. Full costume. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <I> love that. <laughs> Poor Bruce walking onto the streets surrounded by paparazzi, car being towed. And his Ferrari. Uh, not his Ferrari, his Lamborghini. Yeah. <laughs> I know it sucks enough when your car gets towed, but when to have one as cool as that, <laughs> as expensive <laughs> as that. Well, at least he gets a ride home. That's true. Daggett complaining, where's Bane? That <laughs> <laughs> Ben Mendelsohn, man, he did a good job of, you know, changing his voice for this role. He sounds nothing like that when he just talks in his normal Australian accent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're not going to see him for much longer, but... Oh, no. <laughs> Things yes. are finally starting to get interesting again. Yeah, at least we hopefully got another minute with Ben Mendelsohn and Daggett, but... Yeah, I think our next episode might be our last one with him. Yeah. Another, another milestone that we're going to reach <laughs> <laughs> the end of Daggett in the Dark Knight. The end of Daggett. 
But with that out of the way, we can go ahead and move into our feature topic. And for this episode is one I've been itching to do since I've read this story. Yep. You heard us mention it on a few episodes ago where Paul Dini's uh, new graphic novel, Dark Knight, A True Batman Story, it came out about geez, almost a month ago now. I just wasn't able to pick it up and read it right away, but I have now, and I've been dying to talk about it because it is amazing. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. I had high expectations going into it, and it delivered. It delivered because it was great, but also it was that's some stuff I was unexpecting with it, too. So just all the way around, it was just a great read. So, yeah, kind of go into why I love it. But before I do, just going to throw out the spoiler warning out there right now, <laughs> if you haven't yet. Not going to go important. in... Yeah, I'm not going to go into like full-on spoilers, but I'm going to go into stuff that I know maybe someone might not want to know, but just want to get it out there because <laughs> they right. didn't spoil anything for anyone if you weren't expecting it. Well, well, I did hear Paul Dini on um, uh, Nerdist. He he's on the most recent episode of the Nerdist podcast. Okay, I have to check that out then. Yeah, and I I, I didn't know how much it affected him. The, yeah. This uh, mugging it sounded like right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, and. Yeah. It, it it was more of the fact that, or or what he was talking about was, you know, he he was at the high point of his life. He was doing, you know, the the animated series, and you know, he was everything was going right for him. And then he went on a date with with this girl, and walked her to after the date was over, walked her to her car, and then walked home. Mm-hmm. And then that's when he got uh, mugged, and he said that the worst part for him was the fact that when he went home, there was nobody there. Mm-hmm. He, he he didn't have a, a girlfriend or wife or whatever to, to feel bad for him. Like it, it, it was just like an empty house. Yeah. He had all, all of this stuff, you know, all of this collectible stuff and, you know, the, the animated series stuff, but there was nobody, nobody to care for him. And, and, is that what the uh, this book is about? A good portion of it, yeah. I mean, that's the meat yeah. and the thrust of it. Yeah, and you hit on all the points where the comic does a great job of showing that. I mean, you're just talking about when he goes home after getting mugged and beaten. He doesn't go to the hospital. He just goes home and, you know, it perfectly lays out in the book where you just see him lying on the couch bruised and beaten, you know, with a stake yeah. over his eye, calling people, but yet you get that sense that he is alone. But one of the great moments in that sequence was where he says, you know, I needed a friend. So he called Arlene Sorkin, who of course did the voice of Harley Quinn in the animated series. And it was kind of cool, you know, to this, that he created Harley and that uh, Arlene Sorkin is his close friend. And he decided to, you know, to call her to get some comfort. You know, she was there for him. You know, she was you know, saying, you know what, if you need anyone, I can send my uh, boyfriend out to get you and drive you to the hospital. He goes, oh, no, it's okay. I haven't even met the guy yet. I don't want his first impression of me <laughs> being someone who's beaten up. So, right. it was, you know, just cool that getting that little tie into the animated series there where, you know, instead of just having a working relationship, you had a close relationship too with Arlen Sorkin. But yeah, so that doesn't happen until in the middle of the book. And the way it starts off is really cool because, well, I should say too, this is what surprised me about it. As we're going into it, I thought, you know, Paul Dini's writing it. It's based off of an experience that really happened to him. And I thought that was just going to be the basis and inspiration for a kind of a new story he was going to tell where, you know, it's a character set, you know, in a, in a fictional world and all that, or like in the Batman world that gets beaten up kind of similar to what's happens to him. But no, this is pretty much Paul Dini 
retelling what happened to him because you know it talks about how he works out Warner Brothers and he's working on Batman the animated series at the time so this story is about Paul Dini which going into it I wasn't expecting I thought it was just you know a new story based on events that happened to him so but it made for a much better story because you know being the animated series fanboy that I am they're just cool little insight into you know what it was like for him working there and granted I know it was an awful time of his life but it was still kind of you know, cool to get that insight into what was going on during that time period of the show. So that was a surprise for me, but I ended up loving that aspect of it. And the issue begins, you know, the first page of it is him just lying in the hospital bed in the first words war. So I got beat up. And then it kind of transitions to where you see Paul Dini pitching the idea for this comic story. Can you see he's talking to people or someone, but you don't know who it is yet. He's just pitching in the idea and he's laying out the storyboard. So the whole comic it's Paul Dini telling this story, you know, to these people that he's talking to and, you know, laying out the formats of it, pitching the idea, which is, I thought was a kind of cool way to go about telling the story. And it starts off with him as a kid and, you know, just cool insight into Paul Dini's early life. And it's something where as a little kid, he's kind of that thing where, you know, he was an outsider, didn't have very many friends, but uh, kind of like the awkward kid. But, you know, he had a very strong imagination and it was kind of cool where you see him in these awkward uh, situations with other kids and even when he goes home. But yet his imagination is always there for him, you know, when things are either, you know, real boring or not going that well. He has his imagination to rely on to get through tough times because there's panels we see him as a kid in his room. You got Superman there. You got the White Rabbit, the Mad Hatter, James Bond. So this little cool touches like that, peeking into the imagination of a kid, which, you know, I could say I can kind of relate to that, where certain situations, I'm sure a lot of people can, where your just mind wanders off and you think about the things you love. And that plays into later on in the story where, you know, where he gets beat up and he has these conflicting emotions that are take the, you know, form of Batman and the Joker and other villains. And if you're just casually reading it, you might, think to yourself well paul dini might be you know a little mentally unstable is he talking to himself he's talking to these figures in of his imaginations but the issue or the comic doesn't play like that at all that's why it establishes that it's not like he's talking to himself but you know being very imaginative and as a kid having a strong imagination of course when certain things like that happen if it happens to him and he's working in that field of course his imagination is going to go to what you know, he knows best, Batman, the Joker, and other villains like that. So it worked really well in that type of storytelling in this comic where he's having these conflict, conflicting emotions, but they're being represented by, you know, Batman, the Joker, and these other villains. So it was laid out pretty cool early on, just, you know, establishing what type of kid he was and having a strong imagination. So that was really cool. And like I said, getting, you know, an insight to what it was like for him working on Batman, the animated series. And this was something I never knew, too, where... Like you said, Dane, it was kind of in the height of the animated series where this all happened. Yeah. And actually, what they were working on was Mask of the Phantasm at the time. Right, right. They, they had just gotten the deal mm. to make a full-length feature. Yeah, so you see a section in there where he's talking to Alan Burnett, and you see the other producers like Bruce Tim, Eric Radomski, and they're talking about the movie. And, you know, he was saying, uh, being assigned to write some Joker scenes, and one of the ones he got was the moment where Joker 
uh, meets Sal Valestra in the old broken down city of the future of the Gartham Fair. So getting a little info like that is cool. You know, seeing them worrying about, oh, we only got a few months to do this. They want it by Christmas. <laughs> so that was neat to see as the geeky animated series fan in me and just how like the the stuff that went on during that time there. So that was cool. And like you mentioned too, the whole thing with him, you know, going out with a, with a girl on a date and that's what led to uh, him being mugged. But it goes a little deeper than that where there was this girl that, you know, pretty much was leading him on the whole time. There was nothing really there. She was pretty much just using him to, since he works out Warner Brothers to get her name in there because she kept saying, you know, when am I going to meet Steven Spielberg? And we're at a party. He said Steven Spielberg was going to be there, but he wasn't. So uh, she kind of reveals some, you know, that they're, they're just friends and all that. And that kind of took him by surprise. And that was one of those moments where we first see, you know, Bruce pop up, you know, in his imagination and kind of, you know, uh, telling him or not making fun of him, but, you know, telling him what's, you know, going on and like you probably should do something differently about this like situation so and you got joker throwing a pie in his face saying like what'd you expect of course she wouldn't be interested in a guy like you and he kept on bringing up how lonely he was Mm -hmm. during that time he said yeah he he had like you can have all this but like Mm -hmm. you just feel really lonely sure yeah Everyone still, you know, as much as we have respect for all these people in these creative fields, everyone's still human and they go through these, you know, dark periods of their lives. So, but, so I, I kind of get what you're saying, though. And yeah. The story, you know, the book captures that perfectly. And after that date he has and, you know, knowing that they're just friends now, he kind of, what makes him feel even worse about the whole mugging situation was that he feels he brought it on himself. Because as they were leaving, she goes, you know, can I drop you off? And he's all, um, no, I'll go ahead and walk home. Like, uh, there's actually have someone I'm supposed to meet, you know, kind of, he wants to plant that seed of jealousy in her. Like, oh, maybe I shouldn't, you know, give up on this guy if he's like interested in someone else. So it was kind of his fault that he decided to walk down that area and that's where he got mugged. And that kind of played into, you know, making the situation even worse. And also too, after he got mugged and the police were there, uh, it was made even worse when, you know, they kind of, made some jokes where he says, oh, the cops are telling him, oh, what do you do? He's like, oh, I'm a writer. I write Batman. Oh, like, too bad Batman wasn't here for you, huh? (laughs) And he he was feeling bad enough because he goes, hey, like, when the muggers took my wallet, they dropped, a a receipt fell out of it. Maybe you could check that for footprints or fingerprints. And they're all, yeah, like, that's okay. And he's all, like, when they're joking about Batman, he's all, yeah, well, I know Batman would have checked that receipt for footprints, (laughs) unlike (laughs) you guys, so... Kind of that's like where it's first started to plant the seeds. If you know, I, I write Batman, I create stories for Batman, but he's not there when I needed him the most. And that's another driving point of the whole story where, you know, just how difficult it was for Paul Dini to continue to write stories for Batman and the Joker after going through this traumatic event. And I totally get that when you're just surrounded by that world all the time and you get that dose of reality where you know they are just fictional characters and they're not there to help you in those situations but what's another really strong and i think an inspirational point of this issue or not this issue but this comic was that how batman is there for you when you need him and paul dini goes in the story recounts how batman was actually the one you know to get him out of this rut because as the story goes on, he's struggling with, you know, coming back to Warner Brothers, writing his scenes for Batman Mask of the Phantasms. And, you know, he's taking it easy, just getting better, trying to relax, 
play video games and put off writing and that's where you get another moment where the joker is all hey you know you've earned this you know you've been went through a traumatic experience you can relax play video games just get better and then batman pops in like no you like you need to get off your feet or work hard and, you know stop playing <laughs> with these games and everything you know just make yourself stronger or get better by doing what you need to do, pushing him, you know, to do what he has to instead of feeling sorry for himself and all that. So good stuff like that. But the thing that really uh, turns Paul Dini around in the story was that, you know, feeling about, Oh, Tim, can, can I say something? Before oh, yeah, you? yeah. He, on the Nerdist podcast, he was talking about how, when he went back to work after the mugging thing, uh-huh. he, uh, he had a really hard time writing parts where uh, people would get beat up. Mm, yeah. It was really traumatic for him. Yeah. Actually, that reminds me of a portion of the book, too, where he's talking oh. to Alan Burnett about Phantasm. And he's all like, you know that scene where uh, Bruce gets beat up by those that biker gang? Yeah. That was supposed to be one of the things he was going to write. But then he says to Alan Burnett, he actually mentions that scene. You know what? I don't think I can... You know, I can't bring what you want for that scene. And then Alvin, that's okay. Okay, I'll write that. And then he goes, okay, but uh, you still got the scene with Joker and Sal Valestra. So, yeah, yeah, that's a good point, too, where he was having trouble just writing, you know, anything where that deals with, you know, um, violence, I would, I should say, or people yeah. getting beat up. So, yeah, I played a big factor into it also. And just, like I said, how fictional characters, what he's, he feels sometimes that what he's doing doesn't matter, especially after what he went through. But there was a great moment in the story where he was out with his sister at a record store and uh, the worker there recognizes his jacket. You know, it's a Warner Brothers jacket with the big WB logo. And he's all, hey, do you work for Warner Brothers? He's all, yeah. He goes, oh, do you work on Tiny Toons? He goes, well, I sometimes I do, but I must mainly work on Batman. And the guy goes, oh, man, I love Tiny Toons. And like, me and my wife laugh at that so much and you know it's really helps us through tough times and he goes on to say like his wife has cancer and watching tiny tunes is one of the best things that helps her as it makes her laugh and that resonates with paul dini and as him and his sister are leaving she tells him you like and you said you didn't matter to anyone that's kind of you know like the kick that he needs to get going and start writing again for mask of the phantasm and batman and after that we get a very cool segment where He's starting to write again. You see him writing the script for Batman Mask of the Phantasm. But in the background, and it kind of had the effect where like he was watching it, but it might have just been for from the comic where it was going through his head. I'm not sure. But in the background, it had the scene from The Man Who Killed Batman where Joker's giving his eulogy speech. And it's like it's taken directly from the animated series. It's not like drawn into the comic. It's, it's actually scenes from the animated series. And you see Joker giving that eulogy as... Paul Dini's coming turns with everything because throughout the issue too, he was drinking a lot, making things worse for himself. He actually got pneumonia after he had surgery by drinking too much. So this is the point where he's, you know, going to make that big step to put everything behind him. And as you you see him dumping a bottle of liquor into the sink, but during all this, you get, you know, some of the villains coming out to him saying, you know, you you think you're really going to do this? Like you're, you're still not better. You're not yourself. But then, you know, he kind of tells him, you know, this is, what I got to do, I got to be the better man, you know. And then, of course, Batman's there to offer that support too. So, at the end of the issue, we also get a pretty cool moment too, just for like as a for a history of the animated series, where an idea he had for an episode that would have had Sandman and uh, the character Death in the story. He goes on how this is the thing, like the first story he really wanted to tell after his situation, because it was about Batman almost 
nearly being killed by all his main villains. And as he's like just about to die, he's hanging on this cargo. He kind of, you know, his mind goes into this dreamscape where that's where he counters death and Sandman. And the the character Death's ready to take him, but Sandman is all, you know, no, I don't think Batman's ready to die yet. And it's almost like a Christmas Carol idea where he shows Batman, like, how, you know, he causes nightmares for criminals, but yet offers hope and inspiration to those, you know, who are good and are and believe in him. And he offers a choice to Batman. You can still be that hope for people or, you know, you can go ahead and let yourself die because you've earned it. You've done enough for, you know, trying to bring justice to Gotham. And it turns out in the story, Batman chooses, of course, to live and to carry on his mission. But that was a story Paul Dini really wanted to tell. But unfortunately, it was a little too much for uh, a show for kids, which, you know, as great as the animated series is, was always intended for. So they couldn't actually go along with that. But it was kind of cool to still get that little insight that this could have been an episode of Batman, the animated series we would have gotten. And it probably would have been really good. So at the end of the issue, we see, you know, it's like in the beginning, Paul Dini pitching the idea of uh, the story that he wants to tell of his whole of this whole traumatic experience, and we get the reveal that the people he was pitching to are pretty much all Batman characters and who were out there throughout the course of the story, you know, as he was going through his uh, ordeal here. And this is the moment where he kind of confronts all you know his fears and his anxiety that he faced during this traumatic part of his life, as all the villains try to you know kind of push him back a little bit as far as, you know, you're not ready, you're not better, but what about this? They still haven't caught the criminals or are you really ready to move on from this? And he answers them, you know, in a, you know, this is like a section I don't want to spoil because there are some good responses that he had and great moments and dialogue from, you know, the villains and Paul Dini and how he's able to move on from all this. And the big one, of course, was the Joker and how he's able to move on from him, but yet at the same time, appreciates the importance of the character because of how fun he is to write so it was great and at the end you know it's pretty much him coming to terms where where he felt how batman you know there really wasn't a batman there to help him to get through that moment when he was beaten up but he did say you know you were there as an ideal as an inspiration like the voice i heard in the darkness that i was in you know giving me like encouraging me to stand up to get through this and you know that's the kind of hero that was really there for him. And, and, you know, Batman's like that for a lot of people who are going through tough times and tough situations where even though he's a fictional character, the, he's always, you know, there to inspire and to get through tough times. So that was great. So excellent, excellent story and great art, too, by Eduardo Risso. It's all around a perfect package. So I can't recommend this enough. I have a feeling it's probably going to be my favorite Batman comic of the year. And because I don't see what's going to top this <laughs> already halfway through the year. So we'll have to wait and see. But it's just so, so good. I can't recommend it enough. Is it better than your favorite animated series episode? Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's up for debate. I'll say that. Okay. <laughs> see, that's funny that you mentioned that now. But I want this to be a DC animated movie now as different and unique as it would be. I think it'd make for a really good one. Yeah, it would. Tim, that's a great point, man. I don't know why I didn't think of that. <laughs> Animated movie, right? And of course, you got to get Mark Hamill and Kevin Conroy since it's a Paul Dini story about the <laughs> series, so why not? <laughs> so, well, Paul, Paul Dini did say that when he hears Batman in his head, 
he hears Kevin Conroy. Oh, how can he not? If <laughs> anyone, yeah, it's got definitely got to be him, right? So I'm, I'm curious, and I know you said you're waiting for it to come on on digital. It's, uh, it's, it's I haven't checked myself, but I find it funny that it's not out there yet. Maybe it's something different with Vertigo, but yeah, it's not on uh, digital yet. I'm not sure if I haven't found it yet or or something, but I I couldn't find it. Yeah, it's weird, but yeah, as soon as it gets on there, you definitely got to read it. Yeah, or I'm um, I'm thinking about just getting the the um <laughs> the actual the, uh, the hard copy. Yeah, yeah, even better. <laughs> you won't be disappointed. Okay, good. So, yep, that's our feature topic. So glad I was able to talk about that. I read it two weeks ago, and I've been itching for our next episode <laughs> to <laughs> say how awesome it is. So, yeah, you see, with, with that kind of thing, I think you need to wait. Well, you need to wait until we uh, a week where we do record. You, you can't read it the uh, right after we record an episode. Then you got to wait two weeks to talk about it. I know, but at the same time, too, it's like I can't leave it on my shelf for that long and not read it. Yeah, yeah you're right. <laughs> so I do the next best thing. I just reread it uh, last night and today. So <laughs> good, good. It's that good. But other than that, as far as news stories go, not thing. Nothing really has happened the last few weeks. The one big thing is that uh, we've got a not even an official release date, but a time frame is when the Telltale Batman game is coming out. It was announced yesterday that it's coming out in August, and they didn't have a specific date yet. But after that, it's going to be available on only digitally, I should say, in August, and then it'll be on disc in September 13th, I believe, is what the date was. So we got that to look forward to next month. Just another thing <laughs> to look forward to as far as you know all the other great stuff down the horizon so i'm really looking forward to playing this game and we haven't even seen a trailer for it yet i think they said we're getting that next week so by the time we have our next episode we should have a trailer to talk about for this game good i know <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad I, i'm glad it's not going to come out in 2017 because i don't know how many games come out in 2017 it's for like, now some might yeah, yeah. It's, back. <laughs> it's like they either get delayed or they got announced at E3, but they're not getting released until 2017. It's, uh, yeah, it's maddening. Yeah. <laughs> at least definitely we got this to look forward to. And then, you know, the other episodes throughout the course of the year, too. So Yeah. Yeah, so we got that. And I guess the only the other thing I'll mention real quick is, um, I know on our last episode, you said you saw the Ultimate Edition of Batman vs. Superman, and I said yes, I saw and, parts and of it. I, can I amend? Oh, I okay. Said? Yes, go ahead. I'm kind of starting to like it. What? <laughs> yeah. If you don't include the Lex Luthor stuff, and you just stick to the Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman stuff, I, I'm actually kind of starting to like it. That stuff is great. And you see what's cool yeah. about that? That's a good portion of like the last hour of the movie is all that. So <laughs> yeah. you got at least a third of it that you can watch. Right. So you just fast forward through an hour and a half and the other hour and a half is Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Yep. <laughs> so right. I, I'm glad to hear that. There right. is a part of you that likes it now. Because so. it is three hours. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, I finally saw the whole thing. I know last episode I said I saw parts of it, but now I saw the whole thing. And I will say it didn't change, you know, my opinion of the movie a whole lot since I saw it the second time. Because, like I said before, the second time I saw it, I did enjoy it more. But uh, this, there's still the stuff that bugs me. And I will say, though, there is 
some scenes in the extended version should have been in the movie from the get-go. It's like, I know why they did it. They didn't want a long runtime to cut cut into ticket sales, but it's without a doubt a better movie this way. There's certain things that makes more sense, and whether those things should have been in the movie to begin with is debatable, but they're there and they make more sense now when you see the extended edition. Like one of my big things when I first saw it was the whole thing with framing Superman in Africa. And you just see Lex's men and shoot the guys there. Yeah. Kill everyone there. And Superman gets blamed for it. And I'm all, well, Superman doesn't use guns. How do they know that they were, you know, that he killed them? They're just been shot. But in this one, you show them, they show the people that those mercenaries killed. They show them burn the bodies, which, you know, Superman's heat vision. And sure, that could have been applied, but it wasn't stated well in the actual theatrical cut. So that was something that made it made more sense and made it better. And just seeing Clark do more investigating in Gotham was cool. That added more weight to certain things he did as Superman. Like the moment where he first confronts him and he kicks the Batmobile. That made more sense after he was talking to the, I believe it was a guy in prison, his wife and her daughter after he got killed in prison, which is another thing that made sense of why the inmates were dying because of the bat brand Lex was paying them to do so. And how she was telling Clark, you know, there's only one way to get through to Batman. And, you know, it's through, you know, as, as Superman did through a threat. So that made more sense. And stuff like that just helped it flow better. It definitely flowed better, which was one of my big critiques of the theatrical cut. So, yeah, it's definitely a better experience. And it is the definitive one to watch. So, yeah, it's if you like the movie firsthand, I think you're going to really like it even more with this but if you like really hated it it's not going to change your opinion all that much it's a well put together it's a better put together movie this way but still there's going to be plenty of things where if you didn't like it the first time you're not going to change your mind on it but like you said dane that last hour is just nothing but dc comics awesomeness with batman superman and wonder woman so we got that yeah right and and it's great and it's even better with the ultimate edition yep Oh, man, that warehouse fight. Those few actions, <laughs> added sequences in there are just so good. <laughs> so, it's, like, it's, it's like they should have kept all of that warehouse scene Yeah, that, the movie. That couldn't affect the time too much. <laughs> just think a few so. extra seconds. So. Yeah. Oh, well, we got it now. So, yeah, I guess with that, that's pretty much all the news and discussion topics we have. So we can move on to our conversation with Alex. So I'll throw it over to you now, Dave. All right, and Alex has an email as always. He always sends one in, you know, uh, no matter what's going on. Like I said, it's not an episode unless we have an email from Alex. Yeah, it's never an episode until we have an email from Alex. But Alex says, hey guys, thanks again for another great episode. Tim, you're right about RPGs being my favorite video games. It's so much fun to talk to walk with and talk to pixelated people. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> now listen here, see... If I wanted to talk to someone when I'm home, all I have to do is stick my head out the window and talk to my neighbors. Heck, <laughs> my walls are so paper thin that I don't even need to do that. I'll ask how my neighbor is doing right now without even moving. Natalie is doing fine, in case you were wondering. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing, Alex. Do they have as interesting stories to tell as the characters in RPGs do? I don't think so. Or magic. Exactly, all in, out in space, like with Mass Effect games and all that, and alien creatures. So, yeah, I don't think your neighbor's going to have that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in regards to the, to the Justice League movie, I would think that the combination of the Justice League and Apocalypse would mean a darker story, but good writing, acting, cinematography, and music is what's important. 
I wouldn't expect a deep story from a Justice League movie, but I'm hoping for some, for some good characterizations. With so many new characters and mythologies, it's going to be a tough juggling act for the filmmakers. I wish them well. I love everything Apocalypse-related, so I'm looking forward to that. I hope they try to use as many practical effects as possible. In any case, we're going to get a good Batman movie in less than a month, and if Justice League is a stinker, we won't have to wait long for some great Ben Affleck Batman movies in the future. I take it he's referring to Suicide Squad and the next Batman movie. Still curious to see how much he's going to be in that. I still think it's going to be just one sequence. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's going to be it's going to be a lot. Um, but as as always, Alex has questions. Tough questions. Tough, uh, <laughs> those tough questions. Tough. Yeah. His first question is: Which single comic, movie, video game, or TV show episode is the best showcase for your top five favorite bad characters? These are multifaceted characters, so one story may not cover all bases. It doesn't have to be your favorite story or the best story. Oh, sorry. Alex has his. So for for him, it's uh, Batman, the Justice League, uh, unlimited episode epilogue. That's a great choice. There's so many great interpretations, but Batman holding Ace's hand while sitting with her on the swing set encapsulates what Batman means to me as a kid. Also, Amanda Waller sums up how I feel about Batman with her speech to Terry. You don't quite have his magnificent brain, for instance. You, For instance, oh man, I got lost. (laughs) (laughs) You do have his heart, though. It's a great line. For all that fierce exterior, I've never met anyone who cares as deeply about his fellow man as Bruce Wayne. His second is Joker from The Killing Joke. His third is Alfred Requiem for Damien. I just finished reading through the new 52 Batman and Robin trades, and I love them. It's difficult to pick a single story because Alfred is great throughout the entire run. Dick Grayson. The New Adventures Batman episode, Old Wounds. Tim? Uh, that is another really good one. Okay, good. And two fi- his fifth choice is uh, Two-Face, Eye of the Beholder. Oh, great. Now it's our turn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I was able to get a few. So for Batman, I think I'm going to actually go with... Epilogue's a great choice. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. I would probably even choose that on occasion. But since to be different, I'll go with Mask of the Phantasm. I love that interpretation of how Bruce became Batman. You know, my big thing with Bruce and Batman is how it's the promise he made to his parents that drives him. That was uh, a big factor in that story and how, you know, that promise he made weighed on him as far as when he was, you know, being tempted by Andrea to break that promise and to have a happy life. But yet once that went down... Uh, we all know what happened with that, and then he decided to become Batman to full on, you know, keep that promise. This that whole dynamic and that struggle he went through was really good, and how it, that developed into the Batman I know and love in the animated series, which is my definitive Batman. So I'll go with that one. And as far as the Joker, hey, Tim, can I say something before? Oh yeah, go before ahead. you get to your second one, uh, I don't know why uh, Mask of the Phantasm doesn't get mentioned when people are talking about the best. Uh, comic book movies you know that's a great point because it should yeah. <laughs> i'm yeah, sure it should. a combination of that of course it's animated and maybe yeah. certain ones don't need to specify animated live action and plus it was barely in theater so maybe some people True. don't even remember it 
as being okay. in a theater. So, but it should. I totally agree with you. Yeah. And for Joker, I'm going to go for another movie. This one's going to be Return of the Joker from Batman Beyond. But this Joker in that movie was so good. He encompassed, you know, a scary Joker, a fun Joker, um, evil Joker. Just had it all laid out there, all combined into one of the best Joker stories and portrayals that you know I've ever seen. And there's no better example of that than that flashback sequence where he kidnaps Tim Drake. And he's showing that video to Batman and reveals that he knows his identity. It just kind of mocks Batman for it. This is telling how it's anticlimactic or just a little boy in a play suit crying for mommy and daddy and all that. So just great stuff. So I'm going to go for Joker, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker for my favorite story with him. And for Dick Grayson, I'd go uh, Robin's Reckoning from the animated series. I think it's the perfect origin story for the character that greatly you know, shows why he's an important character in Batman's mythos and just the strong bond that Bruce and Dick have and how it was built from, uh, you know, from when he was a boy. And that episode showed that perfectly. And hmm, Scarecrow, he's another one of my favorite characters. So I'd go with the episode uh, Never Fear from the new Batman Adventures, mainly because of his design. <laughs> I'm going to be honest there. <laughs> like You heard me say so many times how much I love the look of Scarecrow in that series. So, But it was also a cool story where instead of exposing people to fear, he was going to take away their fear, and yet that was going to be just as deadly. So i go that for him. And right now I think that's all I got. So <laughs> okay. I'll let you go say a few, Dane. Maybe I'll think of one more. All right, Batman... I'm going to pick. Um, can, can I just pick a general, or do I have to pick a single episode? Uh, I could say in general. What do you got? A- the animated series. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't really go wrong with that because nope. they struck that perfect balance with Batman and Bruce Wayne. You tell both of their stories. You know, you can't have a good. Batman without a good Bruce Wayne and I I felt that they they got that perfect in that entire animated series run. Uh my my second is obviously Joker the Killing Joke. Uh j- just seeing a different side or or where the Joker came from is I mean if you choose to believe it is awesome. Uh third Hey real quick Dane, did you yeah. I don't know if you checked but they added more theaters to the Killing Joke a one night screening, so I don't know if you check to get to see if there's any in your areas, but you might want to. Well, no, there are there there already is. It's just I don't think I can. Ah, darn it! Make it. I know. I know before he said there was none in your area, but at, yeah. least, at least they are now. In case something <laughs> happens, are you able to go? <laughs> Maybe you can get a ticket. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, you're right. Maybe I should check that again. Uh, third, I'm going to p- pick. Uh, uh, Dick Grayson from uh, Robin's Reckoning. It's, it's the definitive Dick Grayson story. Yep. It, j- just like you know, Heart of Ice is the 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 best interpretation of Mister Freeze. Uh, fourth, I'm probably going to pick Two Face, uh, Part One and Part Two. I know you can pick uh, Long Halloween, and I'm sure they, they had more time to, to tell. Harvey Dent story, but there's just something about that episode that just gets me every time. I don't know what it is. Um, and fifth, I'm going to surprise you, Tim. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's hear it. Penguin. Oh, okay. But from where? This is where I can't wait. Greg Hurwitz. His Penguin. That's right. 
Pain and Prejudice. Yeah, I, I, I forgot about that, actually. That was a yeah, really great story. Greg Hurwitz. I think it was a six-issue run. Mm-hmm. One of the best miniseries that we've had in a long time. Yep. And if you haven't read it, you really want to pick that one up. Yeah, good um, call. You're totally yeah. right on that. that. That was a great story. I totally forgot about it until I was going through the uh, my Comicsology or my DC Comics app, and I mm-hmm. saw it, and I was like, "Oh man, that'd be perfect for Alex's question." Um, his second question is, "What are your top three alternate t- alternate Earth slash timeline versions of Batman?" I'd go Dark Knight Returns, Batman Beyond, and Kingdom Come. For me, I definitely go with Batman Beyond as one of them. That's a great, you know, futuristic take on the character and just the Batman mythos. Then I'm going to go with Flashpoint Batman. I love the Thomas Wayne Batman of that story and, you know, the whole dynamic with the Joker and that whole twist <laughs> was just great. And, you know, how it was the opposite where Bruce died and that drove him to become Batman. So I love that version. And for a third... And the end, Tim. How can you not mention the end? <laughs> you know, it's part of me. I know it's what five years old now, but yeah. that's part of me, which I didn't, which why I didn't say who the Joker was. That wants to respect the spoilers of that because they're so good for anyone who hasn't <laughs> read it, so they could get that experience for the first time because it really right. is so good. I'm trying to think of a good third one. Kingdom Come is a good one, but when I put that on my top three, hmm. Yeah, I can't think of anything right now, so I'll go ahead and have Kingdom come on there. But if I think of anything, I'll say I'll say it before we move on. Okay, uh, I'd go with Dark Knight Returns and uh, the Batman Beyond animated series because uh, the, the the comics just weren't there. They, they weren't at that animated series level, right? Most of them, but like I said, Kyle Higgins' run was real yeah. great, so. Oh, I'd put those up there. Yeah, except for Kyle Higgins' run. Third, uh, I'd probably say... Oh, I can't think of what to... I know, the last one's always uh-huh. a tough one. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's it's not really a Batman story. Uh, but I can't really think of anything else. Batman is featured in it, and it's one of the only Jason Todd Batman comics... I've ever read, um, but I'm gonna say uh, for the man who has everything, the Superman story. Just that, that is a good one, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of an alternate thing, but I don't know if that passes uh, Alex's test. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but it's a great story regardless, though. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, that's it from Alex. So thank you, Alex. We love you, man. Keep on sending those emails because. We- you always stump us. Yeah, yeah, even though we can't answer them good. <laughs> yeah, especially this episode. We, the, you got us good with, with your questions. Uh, so thank you, Alex. And now, Tim, I think it's time for our comic book reviews. It's that time again. It's that time. Yep. So as always, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you haven't read your books yet, you might want to hold off on hearing this part and then come back to it after you do. And... I got to say, Dan, it's been nice that since the rebirth started. We've got Detective Comics and Batman to cover every episode with their uh, two issues yeah. of the month now released. So for this episode, we got Batman issue number two, Detective Comics number 936, and Nightwing Rebirth issue number one. So 
as always, we got to give a rating scale for this uh, episode. And what is that going to be? Man, uh, alternate Earth slash timeline questions that Alex asks that stumps us. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that sounds good to me. <laughs> okay, good. So Batman number two, we'll kick it off with. And this one I will say right off the bat, uh, this one is better than issue one. I did enjoy it more, but there's still things that are bugging me a little bit and where just don't think it's firing on all cylinders as far as, you know, being the next great Batman rung that it was built up to be. So the issue starts with a cool action sequence, I will say, with uh, Solomon Grundy fighting, you know, Gotham and Gotham Girl. Just uh, flat, like it's pretty much Superman fighting Grundy <laughs> with their powers. So they're punching him, but they're not able to stop him. But then Batman comes out in a cool panel sequence where you see the smoke coming out from like the sewers underneath and then Batman silhouette slowly pops up and then he just picks up Grundy with one hand pretty much showing like he has superpowers it looked like it just slams him on the ground he has this great line where he says that uh, because Solomon Grundy is saying you know the nursery rhymes Solomon Grundy born on Monday Kristen on Tuesday all that stuff he says buried on Sunday and then Batman just pops in and says and that was the end of Solomon Grundy <laughs> he just slams him on the floor and I will say, though, that was a great line, but Batman's dialogue, this is my main gripe with the issue. I just felt, don't think Tom King is writing the best dialogue for Batman, at least for my taste. Because he was, you know, as he's putting his boot on Grundy's neck, and I know Grundy's pretty much is a zombie. He doesn't, you know, if he dies, he's just going to come back. But Batman, was, I felt, was being a little overaggressive here. Just as he's stomping on Grundy's neck, he's just saying, I feel it, Grundy. Feel how much it hurts. And remember, if you get up, I'll it'll I'll hurt you a lot more stuff like that and yeah we know Batman's dark and threatening but for some reason the way he said it in this instance is something a little too excessive to me but maybe it's just me I don't know so he tells Gotham Gotham Girl that you know you're doing good but you need to do better and you know Gotham follows Batman as he leaves saying hey we want to help you we want to help this city like you gotta you know let us in and show us what we need to do better show us how to fight and all that and Batman's been monitoring them. As he's watching them in the Batcave, you know, going over what happened on the airplane from issue one. This the typical Batman, you know, that seems like they're too good to be true, which I think by the end of the story, it's probably what it's going to be. They're not going to be real heroes, but we still have to wait and see. But Alfred comes in and tells him, you know, he has a party going on that he needs to get to. And then we get to a moment with uh, Commissioner Gordon as he gets a, a visit from someone who confesses to freeing Solomon Grundy. And but before Gordon could do anything, the guy slits his throat and all he says is, you know, the monster men are coming. The monster men are coming. Aren't they strange? So Batman uh, fans with uh, reading comics for a while can kind of put the pieces together of what he's referring to there. So after that happens, the bat signal shines and Batman has to leave the party. And as we see him with Alfred and Duke Thomas going down the halls of Wayne Manor into the Batcave as he, you know, opens the secret entrance through the clock, this is probably one of my biggest complaints from the issues, Dane, and I'm curious to see what you think of it. So he's going in there, and Duke's telling him, you know, or Batman tells him, you know, I'm going to bring in Gotham Girl and Gotham on this case. And he, Duke's all, you're taking them to Gordon? Do you trust them? And Bat or Bruce is all, you know what? They can fly. They have enhanced vision. And they already know about Gordon. I should probably bring, in him, bring them in. And he goes, as far as trusting them, I don't even trust Alfred. When I read that, I was like, oh, no, come on. You did not just <laughs> say that. 
Alfred is the one person Bruce is always going to trust more than anybody. So. Well, well, Tim, to be fair, I think he was just joking. And you know what? He was making I, a joke. I, yeah. I said that on Twitter, and I got a few responses from people saying that. Oh, I think he was joking, but you know what? I don't know why I didn't read it like that. I, it, to me, it felt like it was serious. And, you know, Alfred said that thing afterwards where, you know, for his birthday, I brought him katana, or he asked for a katana blade, but I got him... Uh, Wakazashi, and <laughs> it says what she felt was more appropriate. So uh, I don't know. To me, maybe he was joking. I didn't take it that way. I certainly hope he's joking, but even as a joke, I don't like him saying that. So it just sure. it rubbed me the wrong way. And maybe I'm the only one that felt that way. But it took a little bit away from this issue because I don't like Bruce saying anything like that about Alfred. You know, <laughs> pretty much his father. So that was a big complaint I had with it. So. Batman brings Gotham and Gotham Girl to meet Gordon. You know, Gordon tells him what happened about the monster men are coming. And as he asks Batman, like, does that, does that name mean anything to you? And he goes, no. And he goes, how about you two? Like, you were, since they have the superpowers or anything, do they, that name, is it recognized to them? And they're all, you know, uh, they're saying, you know, we're here to help and all that. And then they go, wait, where is Batman? And he's already gone. <laughs> I just loved how, you know, Gordon says, yeah, he does that. But then Gotham is saying, well, I can see through everything. I I have x-ray vision. Like, it's impossible for him to sneak away like that. And Gordon's all, like, it's not impossible. It's Batman. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty cool line. So just even with their superpowers, Batman still has a one-up on him, which I like. So the issue ended with uh, a sequence where we see an inmate, you know, being shown these pictures of himself with these different emotions. And he's saying, you know, yes, I'm very scared. And the picture shows him scared. He says, I'm happy. The picture shows him happy. And then you see, you know, him saying, thank you, Professor Strange, because you're saying you're getting better every day. And, of course, you turn the page and the reveal is Hugo Strange is there uh, doing this experiment with this inmate. And we get Amanda Waller there. And then we get this military general who says, you know, congratulations, Miss Waller. You finally saved Gotham. Which is all, well, someone had to. So apparently Hugo Strange is going to be deeply involved in the story. And I kind of have a feeling that Gotham and Gotham Girl are going to be tied to him as well. So maybe there was some he did with them. I'm not necessarily sure he gave them powers, but maybe somehow he messed with them mentally believing they were heroes. So I don't know. I'm sure somehow they're going to be tied with Strange and whatever Amanda Waller has planned. So at the end, it definitely got me more intrigued into the story. It's just little things of how Batman is written, which I didn't really like. So it's a good issue. I'm still waiting for it to be great. So I'm going to give this one three out of five ultimate Earth questions that Alex asks us that we can't answer. <laughs> All right. Well, um, I'm going to kind of skip towards the end or the the the, uh, the latter parts of this issue. Mm-hmm. I thought that it was. I don't know if you feel the same way, Tim, but but I thought it it felt way too forced to have Gotham and Gotham Girl uh, be in the inner circle with Batman so fast in, in, in the second issue of the storyline, even if it's, uh, you know, at, at arm's length, even though they're just meeting, uh, Gordon, you know, I, I just thought there was something felt off about that. Not so much the, uh, the, um, the Alfred line, but <laughs> I started to think I'm the only one who felt that way. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you're reading it wrong, Tim, but I don't know. I, I thought he was joking, but anyway, I just felt like, Batman doesn't know these people. If you think back before the rebirth, he pretty much didn't trust anybody before mm. uh, the rebirth. He didn't even trust uh, Dick or Tim. 
So, I don't know. It just felt way out of character to let these two pretty much strangers in to the inner circle. Um, yeah, and- the only thing I could... I would probably say was I I get what you're saying, but maybe it's just part of his way of keeping an eye on them, you know, to make see what they're all about. But I do agree what you're saying, where maybe it's a little too soon to introduce them to Gordon, or maybe they if they are turned out to be bad and they do something to Gordon because Batman brought him in that soon. So yeah, I definitely get what you're saying. Yeah, and the end, I don't know. It was kind of a letdown to me that you know Hugo Strange was is somehow behind this with Amanda Waller, Waller and. Uh, this general guy, it just felt like a penguin story where penguin is somehow <laughs> behind, behind everything, you know, be, behind this new villain. And I understand you want to introduce a new villain or d- villains or whatever you're doing. And, uh, Hugo strange is going to be behind him, but he just, I don't think this is, this is the, uh, the, the story for it, you know? Yeah. I don't know. I, we've got to see how it plays out of course, but it- I was intrigued by it, I gotta say. You know, why, what does Amanda Waller's deal with Hugo Strange and what is their in game? It did raise some interesting questions to me, but to see if it all plays out well, that still remains to be seen. So I understand your skepticism there. Yeah, so this one has been, it's, it's not quite there yet, is what I'll say. Yeah. Uh, so for this issue, I'm gonna give it a two out of five uh, questions that Alex asks us about. Alternate timelines. <laughs> yeah. I think that was the ratings. <laughs> it's a long one, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. you got it out there. Um, so, Detective Comics, too? Yes, let's get on to Detective Comics. <laughs> Man, is this storyline good. <laughs> yes, it is. Man, three for three so far in this story arc that James Tinian's got going. And this issue, I think, might be the best one yet. I love totally it. Totally surprised me. Same it's, here, yeah. That's yeah, what made it. Real. I did not yep. see that twist coming, <laughs> but yet it makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, yeah, the issue starts off with, you know, a great, it was drawn great. We got uh, Kat Kane telling about, you know, her time in the military as her being trained as a leader. And it's like being told in a beer glass <laughs> as, uh, as she's drinking with Renee Montoya. And it's kind of saying where she's looking almost for Montoya to make the decision for for her, that's what Montoya says. You know, she gets up and leaves. Like, you know, you need to start, you know, making your own decisions. You've always been leader and all that. You just need to listen to yourself for a change. So as she's questioning that, she, uh, she gets a call from Red Robin, and Tim tells her, you know, to get into their uh, clock tower. And they see on the monitor, Batman just gets beat up by the army of Batman that the second part of the story left off in the previous issue. And I was kind of surprised that we didn't get to see that fight. Which, but it didn't hurt it at all. I was just expecting it, but this might have had a better effect to show that because on that like i said in the last episode that was a great last page where you see batman just punching that one soldier as he's ready to begin the fight but then you get it here where you see it was just it was too much even for batman to get over or be overwhelmed by these military soldiers who are almost dressed like him and that's kind of what batman or batwoman and red robin are saying you know so if they were able to take down batman what do we do and so they were kind of questioning as far as like what would Batman do, but then uh, Tim is telling her, you know, this is why Batman put you in a charge. It's probably to make the decisions that maybe he wouldn't do, and the, like this is up to you. Like you got to make the call. So she ends up calling uh, the rest of the team: uh, Cass, uh, Stephanie Brown, and uh, Clayface. Which I loved when there's that 
panel sequence where you see uh, Cassie Kane at uh, a ballet recital. It looks like she gets the call. She's just watching as she's sitting on the rafters up top, just you know, looking down. She gets the call. Stephanie Brown sleeping, but then Clayface is out on an audition. But here's the cool <laughs> part where he's going by the new alias Matt Hagen. You know, which of course right. is the second Clayface, and I love that little Easter egg right there. So that was pretty cool. But that's not all who Batwoman calls. She calls her father to bring in on this. So they're all about to meet up on in the clock tower, but uh, Orphan gets, as she's on her way there, she sees these military jets zooming over there, and she encounters these soldiers on the top of the roof. And I got to say, the artwork on this, <laughs> this whole issue is phenomenal, but that sequence where we see you know Orphan, I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but uh, the bat- soldiers of the Batman uh, break or crash down into the clock tower but yet there's this one who you know they enter in you know like infiltrating a, a base but one just crashes and falls down you just see orphan just land on top of, her, of him i just love that shot of her guy her costume's cool she has a great pose it's just drawn really really well so um so going back a little bit it's revealed once uh Batwoman gets her father in on this. It's revealed that he is the one that's in charge of this group colony and the Batman soldiers. And he's been wanting to get Batwoman in on this to be, you know, the leader. Because he always says she's meant to be a leader and much more than what she's doing now. So, he, like, her heart's in the right place, but she's going about it the wrong way. And this is what he wants her to, you know, lead this army of Batman. And it was kind of a way of also t- telling of how the ideal of Batman um, is good, but yet he thinks Batman's doing it the wrong way too. Yeah, he has a great mission, but there needs to be more than just one man. And of course, he's in a military background, so he's going to want an army and soldiers to do this. So he makes an offer to Cat Kane or uh, Batwoman to join him, but uh, as her as they're kind of being cornered by his soldiers, and they actually shoot orphan with a bunch of tranquilizers to put her out of commission because she is too good of a martial artist to, to keep running around she's going to take them all out probably so uh he gives that one an ultimatum but then uh tim tells clayface you know like do that thing we talk about i think he says uh, play ball and he's all like are you sure we haven't really practiced he's like do it now and it just becomes this big a uh, ball of mud like a mud shield across all of them <laughs> it's they, a great escape yeah <laughs> And visually, it looked cool, and they just go tumbling down this ball of mud <laughs> down like a secret passageway. So, and the issue ends with you know Batwoman's father saying, you know, this isn't over yet. Like, I I I know my daughter; she'll she'll do the right thing, and she'll come to us. So, and I like too how this ties into the second issue where Alfred was talking to Batman of how like did you tell Cat uh, Kane yet or about this where. Like they didn't say what it was, but he knew Batman knew something that he didn't want to tell her yet. And this is probably it where Batman knew this organization was probably being run by her father, but he didn't want to reveal that to her yet. So things are pieces are fitting together, coming full circle, and the stories you know, it's getting new layers to it that's making it so so enjoyable. And again, the team dynamic, I just love it. That little section I was telling you about where they all got that call to come in, which is great. So I'm gonna give this issue four and a half out of five uh parallel universes that uh, Alex asked this question about that we can't answer. I, I just love this story so far. Yes, definitely. Um, like you said, the pieces are coming together really, really nicely. Um, again, it's it's how James Tanian writes all these characters. He gives them each time to be themselves. Even if it's like a little one-panel thing, it's it's 
really, really good. Like, yep, like that like, Clayface one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was about to say the Clayface one or uh, Cass up in the rafters watching the ballet dancers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it's just these little things that, you know, end up paying off, paying off in the long run, especially, you know, especially Clayface because I – I think he deserves his own monthly. I really do. Or bi-monthly. Even better. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's just a great character the way James Tinian writes him. He's not just a villain. He's not just, you know, just this guy, you know. Um, and I have to say, going back to the beginning of Tim's review, the reveal, didn't see that one coming. As a big Batman fan, it was kind of, no, what are you doing? Uh, but... It definitely, definitely pays off, and it's it fit together so perfectly, and it wasn't forced like uh, like how the the Hugo Strange thing kind of is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely had a better feel and like payoff when you got to it. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm all on board with Detective Comics, uh, James Tinney, and this whole story. I I love where it's going, even though we got to kind of deal with the the whole no Batman thing mm-hmm. but uh, even though there's not Batman in it and, and this is where some comics struggle even there's no Batman in it I'm intrigued by you know Tim I'm intrigued with uh, Steph and Cass and Clayface and Tinian like I said makes it fit together really really nicely uh, so for this issue Oh, and I forgot to mention Batwoman. Uh, I know, for you to go through the whole issue and enjoy it without mentioning Batwoman. Huge Batwoman fan. (laughs) It just shows how good it is. It was a great callback in the beginning with Renee Mm -hmm. to Elegy to Batwoman. Um, It was a great, great callback. Uh, Just a little thing. And it was just great seeing them together again, even though things didn't end well between the two of them. Um, so for this issue, I'm going to give it four out of five alternate timelines that Alex tells us about or asks us about that we don't have the answer to. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, man, it's been so consistent since you know this whole rebirth launch, and I don't yeah. see any signs of it changing. So yeah, yes, definitely. And this is one of those titles too where you're glad it's twice a month because you just can't wait to read the next one. <laughs> and this. Past time I went to the comic store this past Wednesday. I was like, man, so many great books out. I didn't realize there's this many. How Jordan the Green Lanterns came out, Wonder Woman 2, Detective, yeah. Nightwing, Rebirth, which I'll get to in a little bit. But so many great books out there right now. Yeah, and, and let me let me reiterate. Wonder Woman is the <laughs> best, if not one of the best, if not the best, Rebirth title right now. It's awesome. I will say, too, another one I love, which I haven't in a long time, uh, Superman books by Peter Tomasi. Those have been really, really? good. Yeah. Wow. It's okay. a different take on it, but it's working real good because it's Superman with a family. He has a, a son and he's with Lois, but it's so yeah. good. The way the characters interact, it feels so natural in what you expect for like a Superman family to be. It's really good. Okay. Yeah, so it's pretty much the big three, the DC Trinity, all at least... Uh, some of their books are being really, really good right now. So, yeah. like, I can't remember the last time that happened where all three were getting stories that have been this good. Uh, so, if you had to pick one out of the three, uh, uh, and let's just say Detective Comics, 
instead of Batman. Yeah, okay. That's yeah. a tough choice. You know what? I the Batman fan in me say like I got to pick the technical. It's so awesome, <laughs> but Wonder Woman has just been yeah. That's like the complete package because that's some of the best artwork too. Oh yeah, stories. So. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I can't remember the guy's name. What's the guy's name? Yeah, I don't uh, have the issue in front of me right wait, now. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. I just got to open. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a different artist for every other issue too, if I'm not mistaken. Is it? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, let's see. Uh, uh, Sharp. For issue two? One. Okay. One, issue one. Uh, I think it might be just a different colorist. Okay. Uh, Liam Sharp is the artist on the first one. And, uh, oh, no, it is a different artist. Let's okay, see. yeah, I thought I remember them saying that when they first made the announcement. Let's see, who is it? Um. Oh yeah, Nicola Scott. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's what's great about that title too, because they're both great. <laughs> the yeah, art on both yeah. books, even though they're different artists, it's capturing for what those stories need. So, yeah, I'd give the edge to Wonder Woman right now. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's it's a great book. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's it's one one that you wouldn't expect to be, uh, be the best, but it's definitely the best. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of how it started with the New 52 with Brian Azzarello's run because that was oh, one of the yeah, better ones right. too. So. Yeah. I totally forgot about his run, his Wonder Woman run. Yep. Well, once this was over, that's kind of where I stopped with the Wonder Woman <laughs> <laughs> books. It doesn't look like I missed much anyway, but good. perfect time to jump back on now, that's for sure. Right. They just got to get Greg Rucka and J.H. Williams back on Batwoman. <laughs> oh, man, Dave, I can't imagine what your reaction would be <laughs> if that happened. Yep. Uh I'd be over the moon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I'll, I, I guess I'll do the outro then. No, I still got one more book. Oh, Nightwing, Rebirth, yes. <laughs> number one. Oh. But unfortunately, I don't think we're going to end on a high note. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, Nightwing, Rebirth, uh, Nightwing Rebirth is just okay. And it's one of those things where there were some good moments in there mainly because he's interacting with Damien and anytime Dick and Damien are interacting with each other, it's good stuff. But kind of what disappointed me about it was it's just a reminder of what I didn't like about the Grayson situation <laughs> and all that stuff. Cause a lot of it's flashbacks of Dick as a secret agent, you know, uh, going, like remembering interactions he had with other characters like Huntress and uh, the, and other characters, like I think Midnighter was one of them, or I might be getting his name wrong. If I am, uh, I'm sorry, but there's it just shows you how I wasn't interested in the series. And when they were kind of recapping about it in the story, kind of catch you trying to catch you up for readers like me, where I wasn't invested in that whole Grayson thing and him as a secret agent. And I'm sure people who read that story arc in the that series hate me saying this because you know i've heard it's really good but you know it just wasn't for me you can never get behind the reasoning for it and this is like a reminder of that so it was kind of one of those things where it was like you know right, let's just get going to where he becomes nightwing again because <laughs> we had this whole thing of i guess this happened in batman and robin eternal where it's not the court of owls, it's the parliament of owls who, because uh, I did hear that thing where Dick Grayson did say he was joining him, so 
they he didn't really though, but they're under the impression that he is. So that's his way in to kind of see what they're up to. And there was this moment too where he had to get a bomb out of Damien's nose that they planted in there. So uh, we had that. Then Lincoln March was in it again. He was kind of trying to take over as the Parliament of Al's leader, but something happens where he gets shot with an arrow in his eye and like foam starts coming out of his mouth. So I'm not sure if this the actual end of Lincoln March and. After all that stuff with the Court of Owls and him being Bruce's brother, it's kind of an anticlimactic ending if that is the end of him. So I don't know. He's he's just a wasted character, I think, though, ever since, you know, he didn't get a good resolution to the Court of Owls and then him coming out of the blue in Batman Eternal. But I guess he played a part in Batman and Robin Eternal. But I don't know. That just didn't have any effect on me. I totally forgot about Lincoln Mark. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, then at the end, you know, we see... Uh, Dick talking to Bruce or Batman in the Batcave and it's kind of trying to see what's he going to do now. Like, who's he going to be? Is he, you know, he has a secret identity back. He can go back to, you know, doing what he does before he became a secret agent. And he goes, you know what? Uh, his reasoning is to go back as, of course, he physics Nightwing, obviously, since we know the title is called Nightwing. But um, he goes, it's been so many things. He says, I've been Grayson, I've been Robin, I've been Nightwing, I've been Batman, I've been Agent 37. And all of them had one thing in common, and that is me, Dick Grayson. We were all Dick Grayson. So he says, helping my friends, helping anyone who needs me, that's what I got to do. And that's, you know, what I'm going to be doing. And he tells Batman, he's the one who helped me do that. And he said, he could do it as Batman, he could do it as Robin, he could do it as Agent 37. But then he goes, there's like those names... I uh, forget the line he says, but then he goes, uh, the pretty much the one he chooses or why he chooses Nightwing is that it comes from, that was another point I like in the issue. One thing is that he says what made him choose the name Nightwing in the first place was Superman told him about the Kryptonian name Nightwing and how that means, you know, the great rebuilder and the catalyst of change uh, eternally reborn. So that's why he wants to, you know, become the Nightwing persona again, you know, the chance to rebuild and, a, a new change in his life. So I do get that. It was a good enough reason. And of course he can't be Robin. Anyway, we got uh, Damien being Robin and we know he's not going to be Batman. So really there was no other choice. It was just between, you know, being the agent 37 or Nightwing. And thankfully it's Nightwing because uh, we want to get him back into crime fighting in the costume. So it doesn't sound like he's going to stay in Gotham though, which is disappointing. But again, when we got all the characters in detective comics, it shouldn't be that bad since that's been really good. So it sounds like he's, his main mission uh, is going to be to go against the Parliament of Owls, and uh, we'll just have to see how that goes, I guess, because they are under the impression that you know he is one of them. So this wasn't the great you know reintroduction to Nightwing. Like I said, it was just pretty much flashbacks and reminders of him as a secret agent, which I was never on board with anyway. So it didn't. None of that stuff had an effect on me. I'm just glad that he is back as Nightwing now, and we can get a brand new story with him as Nightwing going in the when his uh, series officially kicks off uh, with its number one. So I'm going to give this one just two and a half out of five uh, parallel universe questions that Alex asks us that we can't answer. I was disappointed with this one. I was expecting more. (laughs) Oh no, Tim. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I'm like, I'm still hopeful for the series, but just since it's just a one shot rebirth special, I'm not getting too bummed about it. It was disappointing, but it hasn't dampened my excitement for the series coming up because I think it's going to be its own thing once it gets going and doesn't have I'm sure there's going to be callbacks a little bit of Grayson but I don't think it's going to be the main thrust so I just wanted to get down to you know 
crime fighting in a costume again and not worrying about like, secret agents and all that type of stuff. So let's get back to basics once his stories gets going. That's what I'm hoping for. Well, after a two and a half out of five rating, I'm so glad that I texted you before to see how <laughs> Nightwing Reaper yeah. was. <laughs> I told you, yeah, just, eh, it was okay. And yeah. About, yeah, just okay was exactly what it was. Yeah. All right. Well, here's to hoping Nightwing number one will be better. Same here. Yep. <laughs> I'm still hopeful for that. All right. Well, uh, just go over to thebatmanuniverse.net on facebook.com slash thebatmanuniverse or on Twitter. Twitter handles at batmanuniverse. This show Twitter handles at, uh, at badfanspodcast. Tim's Twitter handle is at timg311. Uh, I went back to the 111. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> <laughs> and my Twitter handles at Dane says banana. Uh, and you can email the show at batfanswithoutpants at gmail.com. Uh, rate and review us on iTunes because we could use the, the ratings and the reviews and um, all that kind of stuff, right, Tim? Yep, I think we're at 14 right now. So it'd be cool to get to 15. <laughs> no, no, you got to say 16, Tim. Is it 16? Or are we at 15 already? No, no, no. You got to say 16 instead of 15 because 16 is is um, an even number. No, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, okay, so 16 is what we got to get to. <laughs> 16. So with that being said, we love you. Just remember that Tim and Dane love you. Uh, if you ever feel... If you're ever feeling alone in this world, just know and understand that Tim and Dan do in fact love you and care about you. Right, Tim? It's all of our and minds. So with that, see you guys next time. See you next time, everybody.